0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. We are right in the middle of rookie draft season. I'm about halfway through my rookie drafts, so I wanted to bring on my friend Paul Patterson to talk the rookie draft a little bit with me, go through some of the positional values and what we're seeing so far. So first of all, welcome to the show, Paul. Welcome back, I should say.
1: Hey, man, thanks a lot. It's great to be back. I've uh, I've also gotten through a lot of rookie drafts so far, so Want to share my takeaways with the people. Uh, it's been a good experience so far. I'm, I'm loving this class and these rookie values.
0: Yeah, I have to say, well, one thing that I've noticed off the top is that it seems like there's a pretty clear consensus this year. At least, you know, if you group off things into groups of six, you basically know which players are going to go in which range, which for me has made it kind of easy to trade in and out of tiers that I want to be in trade down in tiers and get free picks on top. Have you been noticing a similar uh, trend?
1: Yeah, for sure. There's definitely a level of chalk this year that I feel like we really haven't seen, uh, especially in the first round. It's so it's like almost a carbon copy in every league, the same. I mean, I've had the same first six picks in every draft, but they even go in similar orders most times. I've seen Quentin Johnston and Jordan Addison go seven, eight in every draft I've been in. And then, you know, you usually get flowers at nine. And so it's it's been very, like you said, very easy to kind of predict where things are going to go. And I have been able to use that to my advantage at times, uh, which has been great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I went through the draft in detail, basically, you know, tier by tier uh, with Dynasty Jacobian last week. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, make sure to check it out. For this week, we're going to dive in a little bit more into specific strategies, certain players that we're targeting, uh, what type of trades we're targeting, things like that. So, we're going to start off by just going through the top six, trying to analyze where we want to, uh, who we want to be drafting in that range. And Paul and I are going to do a bit of a victory lap uh, on Jameer Gibbs and Anthony Richardson, who we've been talking about a lot. Then, we're going to go through our draft strategies, how we evaluate rookies and where their value might go after year one. Then we're going to give our best and worst values in the second round, which I think is kind of the key round of this draft. And then finally hit on some of our deep sleepers and some of the disagreements we might have in the rankings. But let's start off with the victory laps. You joined me on the podcast for Anthony Richardson, which was a great podcast, as well as Jameer Gibbs. And there were some hot takes in those. You know, Anthony Richardson 102 at the time was a very hot take. He was going 104, 105 in most drafts. Jameer Gibbs you had the take that he was already a top five dynasty running back it took me a little while to get there but by the end of the episode I had him as my RB five or six I believe and this was all before the draft when Jameer Gibbs went higher than anyone could have predicted Anthony Richardson went to a great landing spot higher than anyone really predicted so take your victory lap what do you have to say about the Gibbs and Anthony Richardson (laughs) landing spots
1: Honestly, I, I couldn't have drawn it up any better, to be honest. And and I never thought that the Anthony Richardson 102 take would actually become consensus. Like, I thought yeah. that was impossible because I didn't think there was a world where Bryce and Stroud go one and two and they actually go off the board after Anthony Richardson and rookie drafts. I'm really proud of the Dynasty community in general yeah. for just embracing the, the upside of Anthony Richardson, but I never expected it. Um, I expected... To have him ranked there personally but i didn't think i'd be missing out on all these shares where i have 104s 105s uh because the the masses have gotten too sharp so that was it's it's i feel triumphant but i also feel defeated at the same time where it's like
0: i wish i, I, I could totally have been, get that yeah i wish i was less right you know but yeah no i yeah, get that it it's goes. it's always tough when a guy that you really like before the draft gets good draft capital or a great landing spot and then it's like well i was right And the NFL agreed with me, but now it's going to cost more to get him. Um, (laughs) Yeah. One interesting thing I actually noticed in my draft, there has been more Bijan Robinson available at, sorry, Anthony Richardson has gone more times at 101 than he has 103 or later. And that's just in my 42 drafts that I've done so far that I've gotten through a few picks on so far. So that in itself is pretty wild. There's a higher chance you're getting Bijan Robinson at one Oh two than Anthony Richardson at one Oh three, which if you told me yeah, that a few I, weeks ago, no one would have believed you.
1: I just gave the dynasty community so much credit for taking Anthony Richardson at one Oh two. And now I'm going to have to take away some yep, of that credit yep. because taking Anthony Richardson at one Oh two, incredibly great decision. Give yourself a pat on the back. One Oh one, not Not okay. Can't do that. Got to take Bijan. I have seen one Anthony Richardson 101 in my drafts. I've only done about 10. Um, and we all proceeded to go ahead and roast him in the chat because we're all analysts in that league. And we're like, dude, what are you up to? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, (laughs)
0: there was a 16 team league where he was taken, where Anthony Richardson was taken first and the quarterback market is tight because there's one team that has, I believe eight starting quarterbacks in that league. So that makes sense. There's a little bit of validity there, but other than those extreme circumstances, you know, take Bijan one Oh one.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then with Gibbs, um, you know, I'm happy to see that I've still been able to get him at 104, 105. Yeah. Oh, he's my he's my clear one oh three in my ranks, but I have been able to get him. I haven't actually had to take a Gibbs at 103 yet. I've been able to kind of maneuver the board and all of my shares have come at either one oh four or one oh five. So I've been happy to see that even with the incredible draft capital, even with the perfect landing spot, he's still been attainable. You know, I, I haven't had to give up on that guy that I really, really wanted um and again just like with Richardson I just didn't I didn't see it working out as well as it did but with the combination of talent and draft capital now it's like really hard to
0: see how this fails yep yeah, it's it, i mean you never want to say too big to fail, but the thing is, and we're gonna we're gonna transition, <laughs> especially with a guy that weighs 199 pounds. No, no, and we're gonna transition yes. soon into you know wh- what we how we evaluate long term versus short term production and what matters as far as evaluating rookies. Uh, I do want to say so. I've drafted 18 shares of Jameer Gibbs so far uh, in my 42 or so drafts. Um, out of those 18, I've gotten. Seven of them at the 106. I've gotten seven of them at the 105. I've gotten three of them at the 104. And I got one of them at the 103. And that was in a league where I was being cheeky. I also had the 102 and 105. And I just wanted to make sure I got him because I was going to get two quarterbacks no matter what. So you're completely right. I mean, he was already the 105 or 106. I eventually determined before the draft that I would take him over JSN, so he was my 105, and my average selection of him is past 105, so somehow his value has not, it's gone up in the startup community, and it's gone up hypothetically in what it costs to trade for him, but if you bought the 106 before the draft, you are swimming in free value right now.
1: Yeah. I I haven't been fortunate enough to see him go at one Oh six in any of my drafts, but I know it does happen. That's where you do see a little bit of fluctuation in that first tier where you go Gibbs, JSN, Stroud, they can go in any order. And I think it really depends on roster construction for some people where you're going to see Stroud at four if a team needs a quarterback where if the teams that are all in the top six just don't need quarterbacks, he will fall to the one Oh six. Like I don't think any people aren't necessarily tripping over themselves to draft CJ Stroud like they maybe were before the draft. It's more so they understand, you know, what he is as a, as an asset. And if there's a slot on their team for a quarterback, that's the way they're going to go. But people just don't seem as excited, which is funny because I feel like for Stroud, we've had the least actually change for him. Yeah compared to all these other guys like nothing's actually changed but for whatever reason just the perception changed he's kind of right where i always had him uh, which is just as a a very solid player who i think lacks upside and and for that reason is not very exciting to me but for whatever reason he's also kind of fallen out of favor a little bit in the dynasty community
0: so i'm going to disagree with you a little bit there because i do think Stroud's situation got worse um uh yeah, that's that's like fair, after that's fair. The go ahead. draft. Like, first of all, I wasn't assuming he was going to go to Houston. That's just about the worst landing spot you could get. Second of all, I wasn't assuming that Houston gave up their ability to draft a wide receiver at number twelve and to draft a, what, Marvin Harrison next year at the you know fifth pick in the first round because they traded for Will Anderson. I, I don't need to touch on what I think was a terrible trade, but <laughs> it, it limits his upside of getting a potential alpha wide receiver that you know. If they didn't do that mm-hmm. and they took Stroud and then JSN at 12 and then Marvin Harrison with that first next year, now he's got two elite weapons like Joe Burrow. That that that's just not gonna happen.
1: No, that's a great point. I didn't I did not think of it in that sense, but you're absolutely right. The the situation did work out in almost the worst way you could imagine. Yeah. It's kind of the opposite of the Gibbs thing yep. where like he got the absolute nut landing spot. Yeah, for for Stroud. You're you're right. It it is bleak there in Houston, and and they really don't have a great path to improving the weaponry there, and that's probably why he's become a less exciting pick. So yeah, totally agree with you there. You changed my mind instantly. I I understand why that, that has why that has changed a little bit. Yeah,
0: and it's a combination of that and the Gibbs value increasing that has Stroud really settling in at the 105. Typically, um, the times so of the 18 times I've drafted Gibbs, I have traded for that pick nine of the times when it was on the clock. So, And that brings me to kind of the next topic I want to hit on was just the general construction of drafts. What have you been noticing as far as trades you've been seeing, trading up and down within tiers, trading out for veterans? I know it's something that we've talked about is a good move, especially in this draft. What have you been noticing as far as that goes? Well, I think
1: the most obvious thing that I've noticed about drafts is that the 111 is toxic yeah you don't want to be at the 111 you couldn't trade that pick to save your life like if you wanted to trade the 111 there isn't a single person in your league that wants that pick because there just doesn't seem to be a player worth picking like we have to put someone in our rankings at number 11 but nobody wants to take that player at 11 whether it's devin Achain, zach charbonnet will levis like i've yet to be in that spot where I felt good about taking someone at one eleven, or somebody took a guy there, and I was like, "Oh, good value." It, it doesn't happen. I've maybe I've gotten Dalton Kincaid there once or twice, um, but it's it's not frequent, and so that's one thing
0: I'm noticing. Uh, and then another thing, yeah, let, that I noticed. Let me just yeah, touch on ahead. that because that's a good point. The only time I've noticed an exception to that is there have been a few leagues where Will Levis has gone top ten. Um, for me, I have that tier ending at nine because I'm not a Zay Flowers guy, but it's it's completely accurate and it's so difficult. So I just for instance traded 111 and 203 for 105. And I feel fantastic about it. I would trade That's theft. I would trade any of the la- two out of three of any of the last three picks in the first round for any of the top 6 picks really without a thought cuz there is just so much more value then like at worst you're getting Jackson Smith a Jigba for Will Levis and Devin Achane who are mm-hmm. They have some upside. They have some value upside, as we'll touch on, but it's unlikely that both are going to hit, and if only one of them hits, it's unlikely they're going to hit as well as Jackson Smith the Jigba. So... That's what I'm trying yeah. to do. And I'm trying to make that trade early when someone could be like, oh, maybe Zay Flower slips. He doesn't. He doesn't. It happens one out of every eight drafts. So you got to make that trade early before everyone sees who's available on the board and is like, the 111 sucks, which is exactly what I've been seeing as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been making some similar deals every time I have a late first. I've been looking to package a, a mid-second, yeah. early second to get up into that top six because it is such a dramatic difference. I was, We were just talking about this on the Full Tilt pod, which is like, you can't think about it in terms of the rookie draft slot. Right. You have to think about these players. like Think about it in terms of a startup draft, right? If you did a startup draft right now, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, would go five to six rounds ahead of whoever you're taking at the 111. So when you're making that trade, don't think of it as moving five slots in a rookie draft. Think of it as moving five rounds in a startup. And that's that's really what you're doing. And that's exactly
0: the way I think about it. I just put up my startup rankings uh, on the big rookie guide that I just put out for my Patreon. Jackson Smith Jigbo was a third rounder, according to that. I had Devin Atchain in the seventh round, and I had who would be going at 203, uh, like Josh Downs Kendra in Miller. the tenth round, yeah. Kendra Miller in the ninth round. So you're basically trading a third round startup pick. Sorry, a seventh and a ninth round starting pick for a third round starter startup pick, which you could That's never do. Yeah, you could never do that. You basically to get Jackson Smith the Jigba, you would typically have to give. A fifth round pick and a sixth round pick, which in this case is Quentin Johnston and JK Dobbins, right? That that is so much more than what you're giving up in this draft day trade.
1: Exactly. I, th- I think that with these top six rookies, this is the cheapest you're ever gonna get them, is moving in within the rookie draft yep. because people just don't view the value the same way. Like I gave up one of like I think Very similar to your trade, 109, 203, and 209 or something to get up to the 105 uh, yesterday at a draft. And again, that looks like a lot on paper to move four slots. But when you actually think of the players that are going to go in those slots, it becomes so much more palatable, and you're not going to regret getting one of these superstar players. It's just not one of those drafts where you want to be in the position of like throwing all the darts at the dartboard. Like, Go get your guy get that superstar player that you can feel good about because they are going to rise in value and they're never going to be cheaper.
0: So speaking about super players, sorry, superstar players, uh, let's move away from the rookies for a minute and let's talk about what we think we can get as far as veterans go, because I don't know what you thought about this draft class as a whole, but after the top nine, especially I think that almost everyone is downgraded. You know, there are specific players upgraded, but the slot from pre-draft value to post-draft value, in my opinion, went down. You know, we only saw one running back in round two. Uh, Right, we didn't get the Philly spot. The wide receivers who went in round two aren't the guys that we thought they would, and they went to kind of dubious spots. Uh, Overall, it was just a pretty pretty bad draft from a fantasy perspective. We didn't get Levis round one. We didn't get Hendon Hooker round one. So I've been moving a lot of picks straight up for veterans and what veterans are you targeting with you know let's say the 11 um if you're stuck at that spot no one in the you know early second is willing to take it are you sending out blind offers for any veterans I definitely
1: am um I had moved a lot of my late firsts into either like later seconds or earlier firsts, so I haven't been on the clock with a lot of one elevens or one twelves but smart. i i would definitely be looking at look at your you know look at your team needs first but i would say that for the most part i'm looking at wide receivers that are maybe not in there that are kind of in their prime age that are producing right now but they're not exciting like Someone like an Amari Cooper, yep. um, if you can get a little on top, maybe somebody like Deontay Johnson. Uh, Calvin Ridley is a guy that I'm I like to target. Guys that can legitimately give you, you know, high end wide receiver to production because what you're foregoing just isn't that exciting. Like you're not foregoing a rookie that has
0: an incredibly high chance of hitting a, an elite ceiling right you, you either so, have a guy who has a very low chance of doing anything or a very low chance of having a high ceiling so yeah i'm i wide receivers are what i've been targeting as well so I, i've been recommending again in my strategy guide if you can add an early second or so and get into the adams digs or cup tier that's like a no-brainer for me if you yeah. can add something smaller and get to Treylon Burks or Christian Watson or Jerry Judy, or even like Jahan Dotson or Marquise Brown, one of those guys. I'm, I'm absolutely doing that because you know, those guys will produce, you know, that at a minimum you'll hold value and you still have the cachet of it being a first round pick. And, and that disappears as soon as you drive that car off the lot and make the pick.
1: And ironically, I've come full circle on Damian Pierce because I am willing to send my late 2023 first for Damian Pierce. Yeah. If that's something you want to do, I'm I'm comfortable with it. I was shouting from the rooftops not to trade 2023 first for Damian Pierce last season. I still think it was bad process, but it did sort of work out because he survived the draft and the back end of the first round does look pretty putrid at this point. So if you did it, it worked out. Uh, still not sure about his ceiling, but... He's a guy you could grab. That's probably going to do more than the running backs you can get at the end of the first round. Yeah, um, I mean, J.K. Dobbins is another guy in that range that you could look at. Yeah,
0: so that's what I was going to say. J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, depending on how frustrated the owner is or excited the owner is, I, I actually want to touch. This is going to be a bit of a side note, but you're an Eagles fan. What's your reaction yeah. to the DeAndre Swift trade and, and from, from a dynasty perspective? From a dynasty
1: perspective, well, uh, uh, I also from a fan
0: perspective, if you well. You
1: I think it's a fine acquisition as a fan. Um, I think he does some things well, and I think our coaches can maximize his strengths. From a dynasty perspective, I hate the landing spot. I I am getting him off my teams. I have one share left. I I do not want DeAndre Swift, so he's not really a guy I would target. I think the value's fine if you send off a 112 or 111 for him. He's just not a guy that I want because um, I don't think that he's owed anything as a as a running back that was shipped off for a day three pick and i don't necessarily think that what he does well relative to the other running backs in philly is actually something that they want to feature in the offense like yeah he is a the best pass catching running back on the roster but the eagles were dead last in pass attempts to running backs last season Um, and they have three legit weapons in goddard smith and aj brown and i guess I just don't see their incentive to rework their incredibly successful offense to more heavily feature a cast-off running back that they picked up for basically nothing.
0: Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you. I he is an ulti- He's basically like having a the one eleven because you're just taking a shot at it. Like it's similar to Achain, where if he wins the role, which I think he could, I think he's the most talented running back on the roster. Then there is this hypothetical upside, but there's a lot of. There's a lot of things blocking him from doing that. So I'm comfortable trading the 111 or so for Swift. Um, I'm, you know, not comfortable trading a random 2024 first for him. And I would advise making that trade in reverse. Um, The other thing that I want to talk on in terms of trading for veterans is that there's a few good veteran quarterbacks that you can target right now, um, especially for the 111 and the 112. So some guys that I have in my startup rankings that, are in, you know, my seventh round of startup rankings. Sixth round are Kirk Cousins, Shino Smith, Derek Carr, Russell Wilson, Jared Goff, and Jordan Love. Um, all those guys you could try to target with a late first-round pick. I'm not a Jordan Love guy, so he would not be I high. was going to no, I was about to jump. Not, not my recommendation at all, but uh, I would rather target any of those other guys that I mentioned. But that being said, it's it's a decent use of use of your 111 because you know you're going to get some production this year especially let's say you had a contender last year with tom brady you won the title so now you have the 110 112 you need to replace him go get Derek carr uh go get you know geno smith for that pick
1: yeah i i like Gina. or if you can add a little bit and get russell wilson yeah. i'm still kind of holding on to that idea that he could bounce back i think at worst he's like in that tier but at that like what he can offer in theory is better than all those guys. So I'd be willing to give up a little bit of extra to just kind of take a swing at that upside. You know, if he can recapture the old Russ, you, uh,
0: you want to know something funny, how much higher do you think I have Daniel Jones in my startup ranks than Gino Smith? Well, knowing you and how you feel about Daniel
1: Jones, I'm guessing you have kind of a middle ground between the, your opinion of him and the market.
0: So I'm going to guess like, a little over around, yeah but close i it's not it's nine picks i have a, okay i have daniel jones at my 5.4 and gino smith as my 6.1 um okay you have gino higher than i than i would have guessed. Have, that's why i have Geno higher yeah. a lot of it is i just don't like i mean doing these startup rankings sorry this is a complete tangent but doing these ranks like it gets bleak after after the mid-fifth when it's you know da- for me Daniel oh, Jones yeah. Devonte Adams Quentin Johnston Jordan Addison uh, Kincaid and Kittle. After that, it's the tier of quarterbacks I just talked about. It's J.K. Dobbins, it's Jamison Williams and Debo Samuel. Like it gets bleak yeah. fast. The fifth round of
1: startups is poison. Yeah. Uh. It. It honestly, that whole there's a whole range in there that I just don't want to pick in. I just not that this is a startup show, but I did just do a startup where basically I picked. I made four picks in the first three rounds, so I was able to get two quarterbacks and Gibbs and Pitts, and then um and then I I literally didn't pick again until like eight oh six. I just like I literally had moved all of my picks out of that zone of the draft because it's it's like you're not even getting players that are significantly better than the guys you're getting later.
0: It's so flat. I mean, my, my five Oh seven right now is like my middle of the fifth round is QJ Addison and Jerry Judy. My middle of the eighth round is Pickens, Dotson and Zay flowers. Now I I prefer those first three guys, but of course those three, you could easily get two eighth rounders for a fifth rounder. And if you get two shots at that instead of one, I would definitely take it. So you're exactly right in the startup load up on picks in the first, you know, 40 to 45 picks, and then load up on picks in, you know, the late 7th to 11th round, because it's just so flat right now. Yeah. All right, so that was a good tangent. Let's move back a little bit to the rookie discussion. Um, Part of the reason why I think you were, you know, very accurately so high on Gibbs and Anthony Richardson before the draft was the way that you look at market values and the way that you look at how short-term production can impact the value of rookies uh whether that even matters uh kind of just let's dive in a little bit to how you see the market whether you care about rookie production whether you think the market overreacts to that and maybe we go position by position Let, let's start with the quarterbacks
1: yeah so for quarterbacks i think it's pretty unique because you basically have you have these two buckets with quarterbacks, like the the ones that rush are typically productive right away. Uh, and the ones that don't are typically not productive at all until year two. Like it just doesn't happen. You know, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert were relatively good as rookies and they were not fantasy viable at all. Uh, whereas Lamar Jackson got a chance to play a few games in his rookie season and he was very startable in those games. And so, the floor for those r- rushing quarterbacks is so much higher uh, that somebody like an Anthony Richardson, and especially in a superflex league, could absolutely fit into your superflex slot and contribute to your lineup. You, he's already, I think, the QB eleven on Underdog right, right now yeah. in the drafts because people can see that if he can get you know fifty rushing yards and half a touchdown every game, he's only going to need you know one hundred and fifty passing yards and a touchdown. To be a qb1 on the week right so that's very achievable for him and that short-term production is going to buoy his value where even if he's not very good as a rookie everybody knows that he's still going to start in year two and they're already going to have seen the the fantasy points that he can put into your lineup and so people are still going to want him going into year two because the thought process is like well he still could become that long-term piece for me but I also get I get the upside long term, but I also get the production now. So it's not just a dead asset that you're holding on your bench. Uh, whereas with Stroud, the reason, like you pointed out, that his value took a little bit of a hit is that we don't see a path for him in Houston to be a, you know, an elite passer in the near future. Because I don't think as good as even if he's really really good, he's not going to be a QB one throwing to Nico Collins yeah. and Tank. He's Del. got no chance. It's, exactly so that takes a hit to his value because now it's like are you ever going to want to put cj Stroud in your lineup before the hit the beginning of his third season in the league like it's very possible that he finishes outside the top 20 court 20 quarterbacks
0: in year one and year two even if he's good yeah and and, and that's the that's the issue with a guy like stroud and and how i look at value like i don't really care about production at the quarterback position as a rookie in terms of scoring points for my fantasy team. What I care about is how the market will evaluate that production and whether or not his value will increase from year one to year two. So an interesting stat that I found out in the last 13 years, 13 years, there's been 59 quarterbacks to start rookie quarterbacks to start at least five games. So 59 quarterbacks. How many do you think have averaged 18 plus points a game? And to give you a point of reference, 18 plus points a game is usually about QB 16. So kind of a mid, mid to high end QB 2. Uh, I would probably venture to say 10 or fewer. Yeah, it was four. Only four, which is insane. So it was Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton, Justin Herbert, and RG3. Notable guys who missed. Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, Andrew Luck. I don't need to go on. But it is very hard to be productive as a rookie quarterback, even if you run the ball. I mean, I look at a guy like Kyler Murray, his rookie year in the NFL, he played all 16 games. He only had 544 rushing yards and four touchdowns. The next season, that spiked to 819 rushing yards and 11 touchdowns, which is obviously a huge boost. Quarterbacks, especially running first quarterbacks, are going to be trained as rookies. Their coach is going to tell them, we want you to go through your reads. We want you to throw the ball. I mean, not all coaches, like RG3 is a notable exception here, but a lot of coaches will do that. So I don't really care about year one production. I care about how the market evaluates it. And I see no path for CJ Stroud to gain value. I mean, he's already going at basically the mid-third to, like, second, third round turn in startup value. How is he going to increase that if he's only averaging 14 points a game? Like, I I almost see him having a similar progression to Mac Jones. Like, hopefully there won't be the same questions about whether he can keep his job because he'll be a better player than Mac Jones. I think he is a significantly better player, but... Matt Jones was going in the seventh round of startups after his first year. Kenny Pickett's going in the seventh round of startups right now. Why is CJ Stroud going to be going significantly above that?
1: Yeah, I, I I definitely agree that that is a risk. I think even if you want to go with a more optimistic comp and you want to maybe point to to Tua as a comp, you know, that still was a, I believe a bit of a drop where he was maybe in the fourth or fifth round Mm -hmm. of startups after his rookie season. So I think, If I had to to match him with somebody, that's kind of where I would go and say he could fall from that mid-third round into the mid-fourth round. And last
0: year, obviously there's the concussion issues, but he was a top 10 quarterback per game. He has two of the best, probably the best wide receiver pairing in the NFL, or at least up there. You know, in my opinion, it's the best. And he was excellent last year, you know, fourth in PFF uh, quarterback rating, like there's no, he was a top 10 quarterback without a doubt. He is still going in the mid to late third after CJ Stroud. It, I don't, and there's a chance that Stroud is absolutely terrible, right? So why are you going to be investing high-level assets in a player who has a very, very thin path to a value increase, right? The only way it goes up is if he looks amazing despite not having good production, and that's possible, but it's not what I'm willing to bet on.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. That's why he's my 106. Um, I'm comfortable taking him at 105 if I have a roster where I have a need at quarterback and I'm unable to trade the pick. But all things being equal, I'm pushing the button on JSN over Stroud if I'm at the 105 because I just see more of a path to accruing value and quite frankly, more of a path to difference making production. I don't think JSN's going come to out, come out of the gate as the third wide receiver in Seattle and be a wide receiver one, have a Justin Jefferson type season. But as soon as year two, he could absolutely be in that top 12 or at least top 16 wide receiver discussion and that's just a little bit more exciting to me because i don't see the path like you said for stroud to be a serious contributor like if you're holding on to him it's a long-term bet and that's just not really how i want to maneuver in my rookie drafts i'm looking at what's the move year one to year two i want to have flexibility with these guys to be able to turn them into whatever i need like yes, ideally every rookie I draft pans out and then I hold them for their career. Sure. But what I want is the flexibility to be able to take a guy and go buy some points, right? Uh, Get them off my roster, go get an elite wide receiver or package them up to get that quarterback upgrade that I need. And I just don't see Stroud being that fluid of an asset because I think you're going to need a very particular kind of manager to be excited about him after year one with the position that Houston has put him in.
0: Yeah, and I I actually have. I I mean, I've drafted eight shares of CJ Stroud. I've drafted a fair amount of him. I'm not, I'm probably going to trade at least half of those before the season starts. I'm drafting him because first of all, I did really like his film. And I I, I do think there's a legitimate chance that he shows enough as a rookie, even if he doesn't produce, that he's going to hold, you know, mid to late second startup value. Um, But I will be trading a lot of those before the season starts. I can't take JSN over Stroud, even though I think he's probably a better bet, just because of the value in startups currently, where JSN is going to pick and a half behind. But the 106 has been my most picked selection by about 100%. I've taken the 106 more often than any other pick in this draft by a ton, because I'm just fine trading back. If they take JSN, I'm happy with Stroud. If they take Stroud, I'm happy with JSN, because honestly, I like him better. So you know, it, it's, it's a different way to get to the same result.
1: Yeah, and I agree they're they're super close. You know, I I wouldn't fault anybody for taking one over the other. Um just a matter of
0: so, preference. So you mentioned looking at your team and this is something I've actually noticed during my drafts this year. I have not and I'm not saying this is the right way to go about it. I have not once looked at my team and made a decision based off that. I have literally never I don't even because I have so many teams I don't even know who's on what team what my needs are or whatever I just draft who's ever at the top of my board or whoever I need another share of so how much does your team construction impact what player you're taking
1: I would say not to an extreme degree Um, I think you know the fact that I'm in like about 15 leagues whereas you're in uh, you know what did you say earlier about 80 leagues uh, that probably makes a difference where I am paying a little bit more. And, and by the way, each uh, individual. Uh, by team. the way, I'll say to everyone.
0: Fifteen to twenty leagues, in my opinion, is the sweet spot. It's enough where you can have you know a portfolio of teams with different players, but you can you know be have certain players you're more invested in. Eighty is too much. Don't do what I did. I, I would say <laughs> fifteen to thirty to me is the sweet spot if you want to be heavily invested. But anyways, continue.
1: Yeah, so I do still take kind of a portfolio approach where I'm keeping track of how many shares of a guy that I have and that may impact me, push me in a different direction. Um, I, there are very specific cases where I want to look at my roster. So, for example, if I have a team where I have nothing at tight end, right? Um, I may be looking at a Kincaid at 109 rather than 110, which is where I have him ranked. I know you're much higher on him. Um, because I'm aware, being in leagues, how difficult it is to trade for a tight end without sending one off in return. And so I kind of need to get my foot in the door at that position. Like Whether or not Kincaid is my long-term answer at tight end, I need a tight end that I can use as a bargaining chip or a guy that I can put in my lineup. Um, And I kind of feel the same way about quarterback at, at certain positions. Like On teams where I have two elite quarterbacks, which is a lot of my teams because that's how I like to build my rosters, I'm easily taking JSN over Stroud because I found like the tier of quarterback that I see Stroud falling into after year one is a quarterback that I've had a lot of trouble trading away in the past. Like I've had a lot of trouble moving off of shares of Tua or like you mentioned, Mac Jones, uh, these guys that don't necessarily flash the elite, elite ceiling and maybe have some situation concerns. You're, you're almost never getting the kind of return that you feel that they're worth. And so like in theory, their startup value is high. I just don't find them easy to move in trades. And so it's not the kind of thing where I want to lock myself into having a guy like Stroud where I can't move him for the right return. And then he's stuck riding my bench for all of you know two seasons and I can never get something to actually insert into my lineup. And so that's just one of those rare circumstances where I am taking my roster construction into account when choosing between like a JSN and a Stroud.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That That makes sense. And, and yeah, it's really within the tiers and like a tight tier, like you were saying you have, it sounds like Zay Jones and Dalton Kincaid in that tight tier at nine and 10. So that makes complete sense. Exactly. Never moving out of a tier based on a
1: need. No, no shot. If the last guy in a tier is a running back and I think I need a wide receiver, forget about it. I'm taking the running back. I will figure it out later. So it is very, very small discrepancies in my decision-making process. And it's one of those things where, yeah, if I was in three times as many leagues, I probably wouldn't think about it as much, but I just have the ability to make those like micro decisions on the clock. And so sometimes I do for the most part, I'm looking at my rankings. Who's the best guy on the board. And, and that's who I'm taking if I can't trade the pick.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's move on to talk about running backs. Uh, again, we're talking about how much do you care about production this year versus future production? Well, the great thing about running backs is that
1: if they're going to produce, they typically do it right away. Uh, And so that's what makes them such attractive picks in rookie drafts, especially late in your rookie drafts when you're choosing between day three running backs and day three wide receivers. It's so easy to push the button on those day three running backs. Um, Let me, I'll give you an example, although this is actually moving back a step to day two. Um, I have Tank Bigsby uh, ranked ahead of Josh Downs. And the reason for that is that I can see scenarios where Tank Bigsby's value skyrockets. If Travis Etienne goes out for the season for whatever reason, Tank Bigsby is going to be an incredibly fluid asset that you can trade, or he's going to be a very startable asset that you can use. Where I don't see a comparable outcome for somebody like Josh Downs, even though I think he's the better player in a vacuum, I even think he has an advantage in terms of his staying power in the league, you know, his long-term production. But I don't see a path for him have these massive value gains in year one or you know production that contributes to my lineup in the same way that i see from a tank bigsby so when i'm making those decisions especially in the late second third fourth round of rookie drafts my thought process is like what are the paths for this player to become massively more valuable or what are the paths for this player to get into my lineup right away even if that's for a short stretch of time.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly how I look at the running back position as well. I want to get back to the stat I mentioned earlier. So four out of 59 quarterbacks have basically been a QB 15 or better. That's 7% at the running back position. 19 out of 88 rookies, that's 22% have been RB 15 or better on a points per game basis with minimum five games played as a rookie. So that's three times more production you can expect from rookies. We've had obviously some legendary seasons: Saquon's rookie year, Ezekiel Elliott, Doug Martin, Kareem Hunt were all top three running backs. James Robinson, Leonard Fournette, Najee Harris, Trent Richardson, Jonathan Taylor were all incredibly productive, 17-plus point-per-game running backs as rookies. So you can find a lot of production there, and honestly, I am looking for production as a rookie because if they don't produce as a rookie, first of all, they are in immense danger of being replaced, Especially unless they were a top – really, in this case, Jameer Gibbs or Bijan John Robinson, they're in incredible danger of being replaced – and think about this last offseason. You drafted Rashad White at the 202 last season. And all offseason, you could barely get the 202 for him because everyone was so scared that he didn't have a good rookie year and that he was going to get replaced. So I am looking for guys who can produce as rookies. And that brings me to the same thing as you. If you are in the late second, early third, mid third, I'm taking a guy like Zach Evans over a guy like Cedric Tillman because there is just such – it's way more upside and way more odds of actually game-changing difference. Even if Cedric Tillman can be a flex producer getting to 11 points a week, ultimately, he has no chance of being a top four around startup pick. While Zach Evans only needs one injury to basically be worth an early second immediately.
1: Yeah. I think this is something that the market at large is getting better with, but there are still large portions of the dynasty community that just looks at wide receivers and thinks, oh, well, this guy could be in the league for 10 years. And then they look at a running back and they're like, he's probably only going to be in the league for four or five years. So I should take the wide receiver. They have long-term value, Um, which great, you know, that's fine. Except you actually have to think about the situations where you're going to want to play that wide receiver, right? Like somebody like Alec Pierce might play in the NFL for a long time. The odds that he's a player you actually want to start in fantasy ever are very, very low. So, you know, if you were choosing Alec Pierce last offseason over some of these running backs, um, I mean, congratulations, you have a player that's rosterable in Dynasty. If you drafted Tyrion Davis-Price, you don't have that, right? But the thing about drafting a Tyrion Davis-Price over an Alec Pierce is that you were at least taking the shot on a guy who might give you some usable production as a rookie or early in their career, whereas with Alec Pierce, there was never a clear path to that. And so you just you don't want to be grasping at straws with these wide receivers even the ones that go on in round 3 if they don't have good profiles it it's just such a difficult path for them to become relevant whereas with the running backs all it takes is one injury
0: yeah and so that's why you take guys like Roshan Johnson over Rashi Rice, and you take Zach Evans and Chase Brown over Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt and Nathaniel Dell. And you take Sean Tucker over Michael Wilson. You can go at whatever range you want, but these are the areas where you want to prioritize that upside because I mean everyone talks about Terry McLaurin, and that's because no one ever actually hits in the third or fourth round to any meaningful degree, particularly a wide receiver. So I'm definitely going that same route. Um And the thing is, you can get real starting lineup game changing production out of your running backs in round one. You know, basically, there's at least one running back, a rookie running back a year who's going to be a top 12 running back and another one who's going to be a top 24. So and this year, I think we have two top 12 running backs. So you can really find game changing production as a rookie. Um, We talked about wide receivers a little bit. Let's dive into that a little bit more. What do you care about as far as wide receivers and their early career production? So for wide
1: receivers, what I don't care about very much is is their volume production, like yeah. their their counting stats. Drake London is the perfect example of this where his counting stats as a rookie were frankly awful. It's he scored like 10 PPR points per game or something, like not even close to being a relevant fantasy asset. But he did the things that we wanted to see. He was an incredible target earner, right? He had a 29% target share as a rookie. His his targets per route run, yards per route run. That's the stuff that I want to see. Are you getting on the field? And when you get on the field, are you commanding volume? Are you you know being efficient with that volume? That's what I want to see. And so you can be unproductive as a rookie. That's fine. We've seen with Drake London that it has pushed him down under guys, you know, like Garrett Wilson, who was more productive at under Chris Alave, who was a little more productive, but you're, you're, you can feel very good about guys like London, even if they aren't super productive for your lineup. So it's a little bit more nuanced there um, because it's more of a talent driven position than running back. I, I want to see more evidence of the talent because that's what ultimately is going to get them fantasy points. Whereas with running backs, it's like, do they have a path to opportunity? Because if they get opportunity, they're going to score fantasy points. So you're looking at slightly different things with those two positions.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I was actually uh, honestly astonished to find in my research that, Wide receivers actually produce, again, using the same metrics as before, top 15 season, only eight out of 137 wide receivers. So that's only 6%, even lower than the quarterbacks, and about one quarter of what the running backs do. So in recent years, we've had OBJ, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, Julio Jones, Brandon Ayuk, and Jalen Waddell are the only wide receivers to put up a wide receiver 16 or better season. Again, I'm using those average seasons. Free Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. Get him Uh, out of San Francisco. Like saying his name in that list just reaffirms that, especially when the next two guys are Keenan Allen and AJ Green. But, anyways, it's you are not looking for production as a wide receiver as a rookie, because even the guys that you mentioned last season who had good production, Chris Olave was wide receiver 26, Garrett Wilson was wide receiver 30, and Drake London was wide receiver 42. So All of those guys saw an increase in their dynasty value and it had nothing to do with their points per game because people are smart enough to realize it's a bad quarterback situation or they're not running enough routes or they're getting integrated into the offense. So I feel the same way as you. What I want to look for as a wide receiver is are they going to get on the field enough to make an impact and are they going to be one of the main weapons in an offense because the last thing that you want is a wide receiver who only puts up – eight to 10 points a game and was on the field all the time, because then all of the data nerds like you and I are going to say his yards per run suck, his target share sucks. And we're right because that's ultimately what exactly. matters. So I want to avoid players like that. And I look at a guy like, you know, Cedric Tillman, for instance, right? He's probably just the backup to DPJ. There's Amari Cooper on the other side. There's Elijah Moore playing the slot he's probably not going to play a lot, which means hypothetically, he could flash a decent amount. Then I look at someone like Jalen Hyatt, and this is why I have Tillman higher. I think Hyatt's going to play all the freaking time for New York because they don't have anyone like him. They drafted him for a reason to stretch the field. And I think he's going to get an 11% target share because that's all he's going to be able to earn and his value won't go up. So not that I'm really interested in either of those guys. That's really just a comparison, but In general, I'm not looking for or expecting production. The most you can expect, even from Jackson Smith at Jigba, is to be a wide receiver three or flex option as a rookie. (laughs) That's interesting. So basically what you're saying is, if you're drafting
1: a subpar wide receiver prospect in your rookie draft, you actually want to hope that they don't yes. play as a rookie. Yep. So, that, yep. so that you can shroud them, you can shroud them in mystery and then you can say, Oh, but what if they got on the field more? Imagine how good they could be. And it's then it, it's you can like, sell them off.
0: I don't have Sky Moore <laughs> above George Pickens, but you can argue that, that Sky Moore had a better per snap season than George Pickens did. I, I that's a, Somewhat ridiculous argument. So I'm being a bit facetious. Well, it's theory, true. But. I
1: mean, it's true that per snap he was better. The problem is we don't know if he'll get more snaps yeah. or if he did get more snaps, whether he would
0: maintain that level of ability. A- but, absolutely. And I do yeah. have Pickens rated higher just just to put that out there. But of course, th- that's essentially the idea. And and either way, I think the takeaway is, and another reason why I never draft for need you have no idea whether these players are any good. And more importantly, they are very unlikely to produce their rookie year. So don't take a wide receiver because you don't have a good wide receiver too. If if, if you need to do that, don't take Zay Flowers. Just trade him for, you know, Chris Godwin or someone.
1: Yeah, totally agree there. Uh, you're, you're not going to be filling spots in your lineup with these rookie players very often. And if you are, you're probably not a serious contender. So yeah, exactly. Uh, I, 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 I want to think about it in terms of, of market value. Like you said, we want to be flexible. We want to be able to move these guys as needed. And with these wide receivers, like we've been saying, it's not about the production. It's what's their path to accruing value. Uh, and for the most part, that's being good. Like that, more so than at other positions, they need to be good with the opportunity that they get if they're going to accrue value. But that doesn't necessarily translate
0: to fantasy points. In most cases, it doesn't. Yeah, and and especially because at quarterback, if you're the starter, you're the starter. A running back, uh, it's not if you're the starter, you're the starter. But it, it kind of is. In most cases, there's not a huge changing of the guard in a lot of cases. At wide receiver, even the wide receiver three or four is going to get a good amount of snaps. So... Moving on to tight end, this is a position where you really cannot expect any production. There's only been three tight ends in the last 14 seasons as rookies to put up 10 or more points per game. Evan Ingram, Kyle Pitts, and uh, Aaron Hernandez, uh, no comment. But you don't want production as a tight end or you don't expect production as a rookie tight end. So what are you looking for in terms of drafting a tight end who you think could appreciate and value? So I feel like with tight ends and this is
1: a very unrefined take, this is sort of off the top, but I definitely feel like the landing spot is important in the sense that you're not going to have two fantasy relevant tight ends on the same team. So first and foremost, you need a tight end that's landing in a spot where they can immediately or very shortly become the one and only tight end that matters on that team. Um, And then number two, you basically you you want them on the field and you want them to basically just flash any level of ability as a rookie yeah. like may, ha, have a long touch like Chigakanko made like three plays his entire rookie season and he gained massive amounts of value because he's athletic and he is on a wide open depth chart um, and that's it like the, those are really the only factors there so you want a guy that's going to walk into snaps and and playing time Uh, And you want a guy who you at least believe in the talent enough that they're going to have a couple of weeks where they show what they could possibly be in the future. Cause for the most part, everybody knows that they're not going to produce this rookie. So when they don't, it doesn't really hurt their value that much. Like Trey McBride was a train wreck as a rookie. uh, And he held a lot of his value. He, He seems, it seems like he's kind of fallen out of favor a little bit. Maybe these new tight end prospects have kind of made him less exciting. Uh, but he's still a guy that like you don't really get as throw-ins in trades. Like people are still holding on to him yeah. because because there are so few exciting options after outside of the top twelve. That if you
0: have one, you're not really eager to move on from them. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Trey McBride's a guy that I, I am actually still pretty high on because you know I watched a lot of game film on the second half of the season after Ertz got injured. I thought he looked fine. Like that's kind of what you expect from a rookie. Um, I agree. It's all about. Like if they put up, you know, five hundred yards, that's kind of all four hundred yards even, that's what a conquo got. That's kind of all you need to raise your value. And I'm thinking more than just the early round guys who are pretty, you know, obvious. We got we got Laporta, uh, we got Mayer, and we got Kincaid. What I'm looking at is The value of guys like Tucker Craft and Luke Schoonmaker who are going at the 3-4 turn, that's where Akonquo was going last year. That's where Jelaney Woods was going last year. And those guys have increased their value because all you need is to get three touchdowns or two long plays like you were talking about. And those two players are in excellent situations where – you know, Tucker Kraft is hypothetically behind uh, Musgrave, but there's no way to know what I mean. Musgrave is not ready in terms of an NFL tight end perspective. I think must I think Kraft is actually probably gonna play more than him early in the season. And Schoonmaker is walking into a Cowboys offense that loves the tight end. They just took Dalton Schultz to be a top ten dynasty tight end, and he's not great either. So I'm targeting players there who are able to produce early and really lift their status, or I mean, basically, otherwise, they're just going to be an athlete like Zach Koontz, who you can take, you know, as an undrafted free agent and pick him up off waivers. So when it comes to the top three, I think all of them are being underdrafted. I know we disagree on Kincaid slightly. I think Michael Myers is still a safe bet, especially with the landing spot. I love Sam Laporta's landing spot. Like there is no one else in that offense. There are no other tight ends on that team. I think he could be very successful as well. Um, But I'm not expecting them to slide into my starting lineup. They're purely going to be a bi-week replacement. I almost always have a top four tight end on my teams, um, especially if they're a not tanking team. And behind them, I usually just load up with like three to five athletic young tight ends. And there's a lot of players in this draft class who fall into that area.
1: Yeah, if I'm not taking a running back in round three or round four, I'm almost always taking a tight end. So I've gotten a lot of Tucker Craft. I I really like his spot. You know, we could see him pull a Mark Andrews situation here where he he, he just... He just usurps the earlier drafted tight end. Um, I, I think that's very much in play. I haven't gotten any scoomaker yet. I probably should be drafting him. I just don't like his profile. Like, I feel like... Oh, it's, it's not just... good.
0: He, he's not a very no. Good player. Like, I'm a mission fan. Exactly. He's not very
1: good. So, that's the thing. But, but honestly, he's still worth taking because, like you said, because of the depth chart, like... Yes, he's not very good, but I don't think Jake Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot are very good either, and somebody is going to play there. Maybe they all end up in some kind of gross tight end committee, but it's possible that Scoodmaker does enough to gain a little bit of hype. At the very worst, I think he's a better bet than pretty much any wide receiver you could take in that range, so I'll give him that. Um, but yeah, Kraft is definitely my guy in that range. And then jumping back to the guys you mentioned that are going earlier. Um, I love taking those tight ends. I actually have all of them ranked at the two or two, two Oh two or better yep. in my ranks. Laporta. He often is available much later, but I I think he's worth that early second round selection because just with the way the draft shook out, I'm not confident enough in the combination of talent and landing spot for most of these round two rookies. And I feel like all three of those tight ends are talented and got good landing spots. And so They're just, they just feel like such safe picks Like all of them went to open depth charts that are in, you know, semi-functional or very functional offenses like Sam Laporta. I mean, this is a very, very fantasy friendly offense in Detroit. There's literally no other tight end there. He got the early second round capital. He has a good receiving profile. It's like, I don't know what you else you can ask for from Sam Laporta, to be a rock solid early second round rookie pick.
0: Yeah, I completely agree, and especially if you play in these two tight ends or tight end premium leagues. I just got Michael Mayer at one eleven in a two tight end tight end premium league. I'm thrilled about that. I'm hoping to get Laporta at the two hundred two in that. Li- I think I have the two hundred two, but oh, in a two tight end format, all of those guys should be going in the first round. Oh yeah, like easily, hundred percent.
1: You you absolutely you gotta you gotta move those guys up ahead of the the running backs there, the chains and the and the Charbonnays for sure. Yeah. I mean they're not going to be stars as rookies it just doesn't happen but i do believe that every that all three of them are going to show enough in their rookie seasons that they are going to hold or increase their value i don't think you're going to be able to buy in on these guys at a lower price after the season and so just with how little confidence i have in the other players in that range i'm pretty
0: comfortable just taking the tight end especially on teams where I know I don't have my answer at that position. Yeah, and I have all three of these guys in the top 12 of my dynasty tight end rankings already. I have a Dalton Kincaid embarrassingly high, so we'll skip that. But I have Marin Laporta as my tight end 10 and 12. So um, definitely good investments at that range. Uh, let's move on to talk about, we're running a little bit short on time, but I want to hit on kind of what your strategy is in round three and round four and who some of your deep sleepers are in that range. I know you mentioned that you're targeting Tucker craft in that range. We've mentioned briefly some of the running backs, but I've noticed you have a few running backs pretty high in your rankings. So who are you targeting in that third and fourth range of dynasty drafts? So,
1: I really love Chase Brown there. I, I actually have him at 24th in my rank. So, that would put him at the 212. And I've been able to get him at 303, 305, 306 in a lot of drafts. Um, Look, he's a sixth round running back and he's not a world beater in terms of his prospect profile, but he is good enough. He's a good athlete. And if you look at that depth chart in Cincinnati, it's Joe Mixon and nothing. I mean, it's Travion Williams, it's Chris Evans, it's guys that they've shown time and time again that they have no interest in playing. So as it stands, Chase Brown is the obvious RB2 in that offense. This is one of the best offenses in the league. It's a very friendly offense in terms of passes to the running back, goal line opportunities. Uh, It's so easy to envision a world where Chase Brown gives you plug and play high-end RB2 production for a, a four five, six week stretch during the season. And that is like exactly what I'm looking for with a rookie pick in that range.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I would just echo basically the same thing for Zach Evans. I mean, I actually preferred Zach Evans as a prospect. He went slightly later. Both are pretty good landing spots, but I mean, You're just taking a swing right here, and Cam Akers has not proven to be a good player. He's not proven to be a versatile player, and Zach Evans could easily be more talented. Like people were talking about him as a second round draft pick at different points in time as well. So, yeah, I'm I'm easily taking Cam Akers there as well. How do you feel about Sean Tucker? Now he went undrafted, which is you know going in the fifth and sixth round isn't good. Going undrafted is a whole different (laughs) ballpark. Are you are you drafting
1: Sean Tucker? Where are you targeting him? I I have drafted a few shares of Sean Tucker. I I basically view him as the same type of situation as Chase Brown and Zach Evans. Love Zach Evans too. He's I've got him right there with Brown. Um, but I view it as as the same type of situation where he's walking into a very shallow depth chart. He's only got Rashad White ahead of him, who, like Cam Akers, I don't think is particularly good. Uh, certainly his rushing efficiency numbers from last season would suggest that he's a subpar rusher. Uh, I think he's a decent receiving running back, but he's not a rock solid starter by any stretch. And so with Tucker, yeah, as a UDFA, it's, it's a tough path, but honestly, I still see more potential for value increase and even contributions to my lineup from Tucker than I do from like a Kayshaun Boutte or a Tank Dell or somebody in in that range. And so I've been taking him like in the late third, early fourth. I'm fine with it, honestly. It feels weird to take an undrafted player that high, but when you consider the circumstances around Tucker and his medical concerns it's very possible that he would have been a fifth or sixth round selection if he didn't have those medical concerns. We don't know that for sure, but you can at least tell yourself
0: a story where he's not like a normal undrafted player. Yeah, absolutely. And if anything, this discussion should just tell you, if all you need to do is throw in a third round pick to move up a tier to get the guy you really want in this draft, you got to do that because we're advising you to take undrafted players at the three, four turn. Like that's and and I agree. I have them as my four or one. Like that's where we are at this stage in the draft. So. Really throw those third and fourth round picks around like they're free. If you could move up a tier and actually make a relevant difference. Like if you can move from 107 to 106 and all you got to pay is a mid third, you got to do that because Zach Evans or Chase Brown or Sean Tucker could literally not be on a team or could be on a practice squad by the time we get to September. And if you got Jackson Smith the Jigba instead of Quentin Johnston, you're going to feel very good about that. Um, Yeah.
1: It's important to keep it in context. Like, yes, we like these players at these slots, no, we do not like these players as Supreme talents or as any kind of a guarantee for your lineup. Like you are absolutely throwing darts. So if you can, yeah, absolutely. If you can get rid of some of those dart throws and turn them into, you know, more proven assets by all means, please, please do that. And to give
0: you a sense of things, none of these players that we've been talking about uh, are in the top 16 rounds of my dynasty startup ranking. So we're talking about real dart throws here. Um, one other guy that I did, or sorry, two other guys that I wanted to mention as deep sleepers that I have. Uh, Michael Wilson is one of them. It's not the usual profile that I like to draft because he is that you know third round wide receiver with a questionable profile. I just liked a lot of what I saw out of Michael Wilson, and he lands in a pretty ideal spot. We don't know what's going to happen with DeAndre Hopkins, but there is hypothetically room uh, for Michael Wilson to be an effective player, Um, and I just liked his film. The other guy that I wanted to touch on who's my go-to guy with my late fourth-round picks is Dorian Thompson Robinson um quarterback out of UCLA he's apparently uh slated to be the backup which as a rookie is pretty impressive a rookie fifth round pick uh in Cleveland listen Deshaun Watson we know his legal issues that could come back up at any time he could have injury issues Thompson Robinson is an athletic quarterback with a pretty good profile I liked his film a decent amount I watched a lot of Zach Charbonnet so I saw a lot of DTR through that he's my go-to you know 408 410 pick uh if if he's all that's left i
1: i haven't gotten shares of either of those two guys but i'll uh, i'll keep an eye out for them in my other rookie drafts that i got coming up i definitely didn't know anything about um about dtr check I, him out I, to be honest with you i'm a little bit of a lazy analyst and so when it comes to like day three quarterback prospects i truly just tune out and i and i don't really pay much attention so this is a good heads up it sounds like a nice spot to target. Uh, and I, and I'll definitely look out because it gets really, really bad in that late fourth round, or even if you have a fifth round in your rookie drafts, I mean, it's a wasteland. Oh so. yeah, it
0: gets awful. And I'm taking DTR over, you know, after the top five quarterbacks, he's my next guy. I'm taking him over Stephen Bennett. I'm taking him over Jake Hayner just cause I mean, he ran for over 600 yards each of the last two years. He just got more of that upside and I like the situation better, especially with what Cleveland's done, uh, to the wide receiver room. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, and I only have about five minutes, is the biggest disagreement between our rankings was on Hendon Hooker, um, which is quite interesting. Uh, I have Hendon Hooker right after you know Josh Downs and uh, Jonathan Mingo around the 207 to 209 area is where I found myself, and I've taken six shares of Hooker so far. So I'm about even on him. I think I'm at 12%, so a little bit over on him. You have Hendon Hooker all the way down at pick 30 at the 306 uh, after, sorry, pick 29 at the 305 after guys like Zach Evans, like Izzy Kanda, Chase Brown. Why are you just not interested in Hendon Hooker? So
1: it comes down to two things. The first one is that I don't think he's particularly good. Me neither. Uh, which is, which is a hard thing for me to quantify because I don't really watch a lot of film. It's more so what I've heard from people who do watch film uh, about some of the limitations in his game. And then the second aspect of it is just, I don't really think that if Jared Goff were to get hurt, Hendon hooker would play as a rookie. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I, I don't see a path to playing time. And I don't think that there's any guarantee or even anything close to a guarantee that at some point in time, Hendon hooker will like get his shot to play. So when I'm I'm looking at a guy that I don't really think is going to accrue value, even if the starter gets hurt, he's not going to be a usable fantasy asset. And if Jared Goff gets hurt and Hennon hooker plays, not only will he not be a usable fantasy asset, I think he will be actively sabotaging his future fantasy value by being bad. Um, And so I guess I just, I don't really see the excitement, right? Like we saw guys like uh, Matt Corral and Malik Willis go in the third round last season. And Matt Crowell obviously got hurt, didn't get his shot. He's, he's totally done. Right. And that's in play too. Like Matt Crowell's probably never going to start a game in the NFL. Uh, and then Malik Willis did play kind of the other side of that coin. He got a chance to play showed that he didn't have it. And now, you know, he's completely worthless in dynasty might not even make the 53 men roster next season. So I guess, I just don't see the path to upside or playing time that makes me want to take him over these running backs we've talked about, where I see more of an immediate payoff.
0: By the way, funny story, I saw uh uh Malik Willis be traded for the four eleven today. So that gives you an idea of his value. Um <laughs> what I would push back on you with hooker is that I view it similar to these running backs, but I view higher upside because if these let's say Cam Akers gets injured. Zach Evans is fine taking, you know, 50% of the job with whatever other backup they have. He'll go into next year as a ninth or 10th round startup pick, kind of like where Khalil Herbert was before the draft in that area. For me, if Hendon Hooker, even if Hendon Hooker doesn't play this year, and let's say they say we're not signing Jared Goff, and they go into the draft and maybe the Lions take a quarterback, maybe they stick with Hooker, you can get at least minimum your value back, if not more. The, The guy I would bring up, that you didn't bring up last year is um Desmond Ritter who was a third round pick who saw the who is now going to be the starter for a team with you know elite weapons on the outside it's a similar position to one that Hooker might hypothetically be in and i'm okay with taking a guy like Hooker over all the wide receivers that we've mentioned in that late second early third range and i think there's just his downside of value is so much higher because he's not going to get cut for at least two years. And I know we're going for upside, which I think he has as well. But like, I, I can't take a guy who might be cut before September over a get overhanded hooker who could easily be a top six round startup guy next year if he does, you know, have a shot at the job or at minimum is going to be an 11th or 12th round pick as a backup
1: okay first of all I left Desmond Ritter out on purpose because I knew he was an obvious comparison yeah. I didn't want you to make that comparison so I don't appreciate you bringing him into this conversation uh, secondly I I do agree he's more likely to be on a roster in a few years and I there is a path like you said a path to that higher startup value I guess when I I didn't include it because I just I see the percentages being so low. Like that's fair. Desmond Ritter basically had the ideal circumstance where he's on a team that, for whatever reason, can't get out of its own way and refuses to draft a quarterback where they should. Um, a team that continues to invest in all of these weapons and then doesn't care like who's throwing to them, and then had like one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL ahead of him. And so, where I look at it with Goff, it's like Goff's better than Mariota by leaps and bounds um i i just think that detroit is maybe a more competent franchise because i think any franchise is more competent frankly than atlanta um and i guess i just i don't see that outcome as being particularly likely and even for desmond ritter where it worked out he still isn't even close to that sixth round startup range a, a, even with everything working out even with the great weapons that he has even showing a little bit of ability at the end of last season he still isn't really getting that kind of hype so he's going to need to play all of this season and play well uh to even sniff that second round or that sixth round startup value so i just see that as such a a, da- a difficult path for Hooker to tread and i and i don't think he has the ability to pull it off and so i i'm just comfortable letting other people pick him
0: that's totally fair. And I understand that. Um, I guess I would like right now, Desmond Ritter and Brock Purdy both have eighth round startup value. Um,
1: Oh, that's higher than I would have guessed. Yeah. I,
0: I'm not saying that's where it should be, but that in the 14 startups I've tracked since the draft. So not bad, but, uh, again, I mean, whether or not it should be there is a different question. Um, all right, we're running a little long now, but this has been a great discussion. Uh, before I sign off here, can you remind everyone where we can find your work? Absolutely. And this has been a ton of fun for sure. I, I, I think I learned some stuff,
1: definitely some deep sleepers I can look out for and everything like that. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Paul underscore DFF. You can find all of my written content at DynastyFootballFactory.com. And uh, you can follow my latest podcast venture. It's about five episodes in. The Factory Tour is available on YouTube and Spotify.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for joining the show. And we'll be back with the Dynasty Zoltan podcast for more, probably rookie draft analyst for another analysis for another week or two. And then we'll move into some of the uh, startup and redraft season. So looking forward to hearing from you soon. And thanks again for listening to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast.